On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We're going to divert from the usual hidden histories this week. We are joined by Donald Fallon, but of course we're going to have to talk about um, the passing and one of the major works of Sinead O'Connor. And we're going to talk about maybe one of her most defining recordings, um, which is her take on The Foggy Jew, uh, recorded with the Chieftains in 1995 for their album The Long Black Veil. Um, the Chieftains, of course, had their big commercial success in America and that was central to the band. But having Sinead as a participant in one of their big albums was a pretty bold move because this is 1995 and it was recorded in New York. And of course, Sinead O'Connor and New York had a pretty checkered history. That's where she had had her protest on Saturday Night Live. It's where she had been jeered in Madison Square Garden. And yet here she was, back only a couple of years later, recording uh, on one of the Chieftain's most seminal albums. And Donald is, as I said, here to talk about it. Uh, Donald, fair to say this really was the only possible slot we could do this week. Ah, look, I mean, yeah, what else could you, what else could you look at? And there's been so much written and, and said this week, examining, I suppose, not just Sinead O'Connor as a person, but, but her work. And there's little point really in trying to add to that. I was thinking about uh, David Holmes, the, the great DJ and, and producer who'd been silently knocking away on her next album. And I think of, of everything that was written, he nailed it. He called her the definition of art, a disruptor, a dreamer, an outsider and an outlier. So I suppose what I wanted to do with the slot this week was something a little bit different. Let's let's zoom in on mm. one particularly beautiful moment. And of course, being a historian, uh, one thing which is very handy for you is primary sources. And in its own way, and this is something that makes the song so unique, The Foggy Jew is a kind of a historical source in its own way because it was written in the thick of the events it's describing. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think it's fair to say this has become what we're going to hear, really the definitive version of the song. And I think what makes The Foggy Jew so special is that as you said there, it's written in the midst of the Irish Revolution. So there's all these great songs, you know, Grace, for example, uh, that we might envision as being written as events unfolded. Grace is such a beautiful ballad, you think someone wrote it at, at the gates of Kilmainham Jail. Mm. But they're actually written in surprisingly recent times. Fields of Atenry is the same. But The Foggy Jew is written by Father Charles O'Neill, who's at the meeting of the first hall in 1919. He's in the wow. audience. And he writes it in the immediate aftermath of that. So it's, it's, it's someone that was there in the heat of the moment, published under a pseudonym, never made any money, money from it, but it's just, you know, it's from 1919 mm. and you can, you can really hear that in it. Um, the song is probably best known for the comparison that it makes between two different wars that took place not terribly long apart. But actually, when you mention Charles O'Neill being present in the Mansion House in 1919, the inspiration for that comparison might well have been there in the flesh on the day. It's one of these mad little facts of history. The, the very same day that the first doll meets, January 1919, the mansion house was double booked. So earlier that day, it had been a lunch. It's just mad to imagine this. 400 members of the Royal Dublin Fusiliers, who'd just come back from the First World War, former POWs, they have the morning session. Wow. And then the first doll walks in. And that just must have been mad. You know, these men in, in British Army uniforms walking out of the building. And then young men, you know, Sinn Féin TDs walking in to establish this this new parliament. And I wonder when you, when you hear the song and O'Neill ponders that contrast, you know, better to die in an Irish sky. And he names these far off places from the First World War. So it's a, there's a beautiful contrast, you know, at, at the very heart of this song yeah. about the First World War uh, and, and the Irish Revolution. But yeah, if you're, you're going in to, to witness the meeting of the First All and you're passing by some of the Fusiliers uh, on the way out, it, it's a very easy thing to reach for. Um, the song is on that Chieftain's album in 1995, which is a massive hit uh, in the US and of course here at home. Um, but like remarkably, one of the reasons why it might have been a hit was because it was an album that was packed full of, of really big name collaborators. 
unbelievable. I mean, when I, when I was putting together a list of people that are on this album, I actually forgot Van Morrison. <laughs> it's, such, <laughs> it's such a star-packed album. You forget Van Morrison. Is wow. On it. Yeah. Sting is on it. Uh, Osquelga, Mugilamar, Marianne Faithful is on it. Tom Jones is on it. The Rolling Stones are on it. Absolutely incredible album. And there are two collaborations uh, with, with Sinead O'Connor. He moved through the fair and, uh, and the Foggy Jew. So the Chieftains often collaborated with people, but this is, this is the super group record, mm. uh, if you will, of, of, the, of the Chieftains. Just put it in, in its place for us again. So this is recorded and released in 1995. Uh, Sinead O'Connor has her, her SNL moments uh, with the, the picture of the Pope, I think, in 1992. And then she has her big thing about Madison Square Garden where she's performing at that memorial gig and she's jeered on stage and Chris Christopherson has to kind of take her aside. So what at this point in the mid-90s, was it a, a relatively risky thing for the Chieftains to, yeah. to go looking to be associated with her? I think if there's been one really annoying mistruth in the coverage this week and, and in the obituaries, especially the American obituaries, it's this idea that Sinead O'Connor destroyed her career or quite literally ripped it up on SNL. And that's a really American take because, look, it did have a phenomenal impact commercially in the US in a negative sense. Mm. But at home, you know, O'Connor was on The Late Late Show in 1993, for example. So she maintained a very strong career in Ireland and in in Europe after what happened. But in America, it was something very, very different. And, And, you know, the Chieftain's bread and butter was America and Irish America. So it was a very, very brave association for, for a musical group. Maybe no group since the Clancy Brothers had been so dependent on you know American listenership. Mm. And in the US, public feeling was very, very slow to move uh, on, on O'Connor. I suppose the thing is that the Chieftains, you know, they're not like the Wolf Tones. They're not like a, a political band. It's not rebel songs. It's just folk music. So like maybe it's it was a um, a very political thing then for them to start associating with O'Connor. But but they do end up getting her back on a stage in New York City as well for the first time since the whole fallout from that SNL uh, appearance. There's a really beautiful story in in John Glatt's book. He wrote the official biography of of, of the Chieftains. I just think this is amazing. He writes about Patrick's Day, 1995, and to quote the book. Uh, and Sinead O'Connor's American visa had run out and when Paddy Maloney heard he was livid and telephoned all the friends he knew in high places finally three days later everything was sorted out thanks to the personal intervention of Senator Ted Kennedy <laughs> and Sinead got to wow. New York isn't that just amazing, amazing. So I, I, I don't imagine Ted Kennedy wanted that too public at the time No, <laughs> but that was her first performance in that city since the humiliation of being booed uh, at Madison, Madison Square Gardens, that Bob Dylan gig uh, in the aftermath of, of, of SNL. So not only did the Chieftains get her on record, they yeah. got her back onto a, onto a New York stage, in Carnegie Hall, yeah. of all places. Literally getting her back into the country. Uh, remarkable. Um, before we, we, we play out with it this afternoon, because of course it's the only thing we could play out, it, it was a song that she did personally love dearly to. Oh yeah, and I mean, one of our final appearances on, on, on the Late Late Show, and they were never boring, those appearances no. on the Late Late Show. One of the only guests who's ended up in the guest chair interviewing interviewing the host but she spoke about you know the spirit of 1916 she said they built a country out of rubble we have more than they had and we don't need to be violent or to create rubble and we need to get that spirit back and i think certainly it's a song that she was very very you know proud uh, to sing and it brought her you know all the way to las vegas and to a big stage in in, in the u.s again uh, the only thing that we could possibly play out with uh, this lunchtime and this uh, somewhat special ed- edition of On the Record. Donald Fallon, as ever, uh, thank you very much. Donald Fallon is the author of Three Castles Burning, History of Dublin and Twelve Streets, the podcast or the Easton's Book of the Year last year and the podcast of the same name. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Transformation always disrupts, but it doesn't always need to be disruptive. On News Talk.